Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. So we are in this series called The Way, and it's the way to experiencing personal direction and wholeness. And sometimes when we try to experience wholeness, we don't realize how important it is to have Jesus, a part of our lives, who is able to unify our mind, our emotions, and our spirit. We need God to help us to unify our mind, our will, our spirit, and I would say it is so important, it's so neglected, is how we can sometimes just forget about our will. And when we don't see these things working together, it's hard to see transformation. It's difficult to see things last. We want them to, and sometimes we can make decisions in our mind and say, I'm going to do this. But then we're, we're missing our will. Sometimes we say, I'm not up to it. My emotions are working against me. And they work against what we've decided and even what we believe we are determined that we are going to do. We say, but how can all these things come together? And then all of a sudden we begin to understand the way is really through the simplicity of involving Jesus in our lives every day. Not week to week, not once in a while, but in as many moments of the day as possible. I've often found myself just living my life talking to myself. I look like a crazy person, but most of the time, what I'm doing in those moments where I'm speaking to myself is, is a lot of self-talk and self-encouragement because I'm trying to bring Jesus into the moments of my life. Where I'm inviting him into the darkness and into the doubt, and I'm inviting him into the brokenness, and I'm inviting him into, into my distractions, and even in the moments where I'm distraught. I'm inviting him, and I realize that if I don't do that in those moments, that I'm not going to see a unification of my mind. I'm not going to see a unification of my emotions with my will. The three things that I need working together, the way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together, those things are not going to work together for my good unless I bring them together through the personal invitation of Jesus into my life and every aspect of it. And so what Paul does in the book of Philippians is that he finds himself in prison and he's got two guards that are chained to him. Paul isn't chained to the guards. The guards, the way that Paul sees it, are chained to him. And Paul is not allowing anything to hinder him or prevent him from experiencing joy, but also from being able to provide personal direction and wholeness to the Philippians. And in the story in which we're in, he begins to do something which is 
really important because he calls on the names of two people. Two people that were so vital and important. Two people that were so key to him personally, but that they were going to be key for the Philippians as well. And it seems that these Philippians have never met these two guys. They've never met Timothy and they've never met Ephroditus. They, they, they don't know who these guys are. They're like, who are these guys? Like, they don't know. So they need an introduction. And what Paul does is that he begins to describe them, but through his own friendship with them. Have you ever had a friend that was like so amazing to you that when you talked about them to someone else, your eyes lit up, your heart just was filled with joy, like you just couldn't fully even express how much they meant to you. Ever have that happen to you? Yeah, me neither. I'm still looking for that person. It's tough. True friendship is a hard thing to find. But when you do, you're going to have that moment. Just trust me. It's going to happen. And the reason it's going to happen is because that's what Paul does in the story. He talks of Timothy in a way that, wow, if, when Timothy would read these words, he'd read this letter, he'd be so touched by it. You know, sometimes we talk about someone to someone else, and it isn't like good at all. Like the, the words we're describing aren't nice. Uh, how we're saying it, what we're saying, the things we're telling them shouldn't be said, but that's what we're doing in that moment. And we've all been there where we haven't been at our best, and we haven't done our best to lift someone else, we've done our best to really just tear them down. Even to someone who's a complete stranger to them. But what Paul does in the story is that he takes complete strangers and he describes them in a way that the Philippians just want these guys to come into their home, into their life, into their community of faith, and to help them any way that they possibly can. Now, broadly speaking, there's probably like three types of friends that we can all kind of relate to. And I'd say that the first category falls into the category of a high by kind of friend. You know, that's like my neighbors. Does that make sense? Like, I see them, it's a high, it's a buy, we talk, we catch up. There's some information that's passed on, there's concern, there's care. You know, but it's kind of like a high buy thing. And, and, and it's not more than that. And sometimes that was like school. And then when school ended, a lot of these high buy friends, well, they kind of ended when school ended. Or, or sometimes you're at a job and, and you're, you're in that job. And these are friends that you say hi and bye to every day. You say hi and bye to after the set. You say hi and bye to all the time. But then when the job ends, the relationship ends too. Do you ever notice that? Right? They're high bye friends. That's what they are. And then the second type of friend, the second type of a friend that we can categorize are kind of like, like, would you, I don't know, just for a lack of a better term, we'll just call them regular. A regular meaning that they're consistent friends. They're people that are more in your life than not. 
And over the course of your life, they've been there. And they're usually there for one main reason. And that is because you share a social circle. It's because there's an activity that brings you together. Your, your buddies and your friends, but it's really because, well, you're all into squash. It's because you all like to watch the game. It's because you all like a certain type of food. It's because you all like to party a certain way. It's because you've got something that kind of brings you together. And sometimes it's one person who does all the gathering. This person kind of keeps the friend group together. It isn't you, it's somebody else generally. And that person is the one who contacts everybody and says, hey, let's do something. And then everybody responds, okay, let's do it. And if it wasn't for that person bringing everybody together, you wouldn't be regular friends. True? And then there's a third category. And this is the category that Paul is speaking from. He's talking about a soul friend. Not a friend who smells like fish, but a friend of the soul. A friend that when you think of them, you know that this is your best friend. And, and then what is it about a best friend? What is it about a soul friend? A soul friend is someone that you can talk to about anything. You can tell them your lowest moment, your darkest moment. You can tell them about your broken moment where you are so embarrassed to even pray it to God, but you have no problem spilling it to this friend. It is, it is that kind of a friend, a friend that you can talk to about anything, everything. And you may or may not meet up every day, but it doesn't matter because it is the strength of your friendship that you know is going to be there for a lifetime. It isn't determined by how frequently you meet up, but it's determined by how deep you go when you're together. Does that make sense? And I think that when we think of this kind of a friend, when we think of what it means to be in a relationship with one another, that we don't always have this kind of best friend. A person that can just reach out to, that you can just call out to, that you can just depend and rely onto the way that you would need it most. That person that would do anything for you. They would bury a dead body for you kind of friend. And maybe even take the blame for it. I'm not saying this out of like personal experience or anything. <laughs> don't go there. It's, I just, I don't know how that came into my head and I said it, but I did. But it's that kind of a friend. The friend who would go and do anything. I wanted to do some research on what it looks like to, you know, just not to be a friend, but just how to make a friend. I find that, I don't know what it is, but as you get older, it gets harder to make friends. And sometimes, like, you're friends with people when you have kids that, you know, your kids like. But then when you 
meet the adults who fathered and birthed these children, you're like, no. <laughs> like, no. I, I don't want to go on vacation with them. I do not want to spend time in their house. Like, no. Sometimes you end up in friendships that you really don't care about, that you really don't want. And, and so when we're talking about making friends, there are certain things that experts say that we need to do to make friends, even as adults. And, and the first is that we have to make the first move. That's really hard when you're an introvert. And I've got a, a friend of mine, his name is Carl Moore, who's written a book, and it's called something along the lines of, of introverts, uh, living as an introvert in, 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 a, in a world of extroverts. And, and, and he is, I would say, an extrovert by far. But he's interested in how introverts can, can flourish and, ex and, and excel in a world where it seems that only extroverts do. And so this first one makes a lot of sense to me because we're not always going to want to make that first move. So we have to work against our own conditioning, our own personality, really. We have to go against what feels natural to us, <clears throat> making the first move, making that call, you know, sending that text, just reaching out to the other person instead of waiting for them to always reach out to us. And so making that first move. The second thing they said was volunteer. Like get involved and help out somewhere. And, and, and honestly, it makes a lot of sense to me because I've seen people uh, who would otherwise never meet become friends even though there's like a huge difference in age when they started volunteering together at church. They became friends, even though there'd be nothing that you would think that would bring them together. The other thing is just join some kind of hobby club or organization, show that you're friendly, you know, look for similarities instead of focusing on all the things that make you different. Being a good listener or creating friendship with friends of friends sometimes can be the easiest way to go about this. And then just making sure you just stay in touch. Like being intentional. When someone crosses your mind and you realize you haven't seen them or talked to them in a really long time, be the one who reaches out. And then the last thing would be just simply, they said, was just say yes. You know, sometimes we come up with excuses of why we can't, why we won't, why it won't work, why we don't want to. But just being able to say yes and just going out with someone that we don't really feel like it can be a great opportunity for us to experience friendship. Well, experts have also said something else. They said that it still takes about 90 hours. A study out of the University of Kansas found that two people need to spend about 90 hours together to become friends. Think about that takes about 90 hours on average for two people to become friends. So it, it, it can't just be like once or twice. It's going to take some time. And, and for people to become best friends, it's going to take about 200 hours or more. Does that help a little bit? Kind of puts things in perspective, right? 
uh, <clears throat> I've always been interested in how, <clears throat> excuse me, people have been able to live up to 100 years of age. I'm always interested in seeing what it is that they have genetically, what it is that they are doing in terms of their diet, what is it that they've done uh, in terms of exercise, because it seems like I have, I'm zero for three in all, in all those categories. And, and so when you think of being zero for three in, in, in genetics and diet and in exercise, you think there's no way I'm even getting to 60, let alone 100. But then they went a little bit further and they looked at what it was that really made these people beyond those three main categories live to 100. Do you know what it was? Friendship. Like when they went out for coffee, the barista was their friend. When they went to get meat at the butcher, or they went to get vegetables at the market, that they were, there were people there that they had relationship with. That even though they weren't their close best friends, there was enough social interaction and enough care and concern that if ever that day they didn't come into the bar for coffee or they didn't go and get vegetables at the market or if they didn't walk by the butcher, that someone would ask a question, how come, and go and see if they were okay. That even if their kids had died and their family was estranged and even if there was no one there who truly cared about them, the fact that they had this resiliency and this strong social support and engagement and that they had confidence in themselves to go out into the world no matter what age they were, that this is what kept them living longer. Listen to me, this stuff is important because it all ties in to what we're about to read. Guess what? We're about to read the Bible. After all this time, just in case we weren't going to get there, and you thought you were in some kind of motivational seminar on friendship, <laughs> we are actually going to look at the Bible. In Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read from, from my stand so that, you know, I can see it better. It's verse 19. It says that if the Lord Jesus is willing, this is what I hope to do, Paul says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. And then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. He is like a son with his father. He has served me in preaching the good news. And I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. And so Paul here commends Timothy. And then here Paul commands Epaphroditus, and he says, Meanwhile, I also thought that I should send Epaphroditus back to you. Now, he is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. Uh, he was like your messenger to help me in my need, and I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you 
heard that he was ill, and he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. For I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him. And then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. And he says that these two people were so instrumental in his own life that he wanted them to experience it as well. They were so amazing to him that he wanted them to be amazing for all the Philippians too. And so he says they were so instrumental that I want them to be instrumental for you. But I also want to hear back from them and and them coming to you even though I can't come because I'm in this jail and I'm chained to these guards and I'm not living my best life right now. I don't have my freedom. I don't even know if I'll ever get out of here. But just hearing from them about how you're doing great is going to bring joy into my life. That even though I'm not free, well, Timothy and Epaphroditus are. See, Paul was able to to find joy and find meaning and purpose in the freedom and the joy and the purpose of others. It wasn't just because his life was doing well and his life was doing great, but he saw those around him living how God had desired them to live. And that brought him immeasurable joy. And sometimes when we see our friends succeed, it can be really tough because we're like, well, Paul's like, well, he's the greatest of all time. You know, if if somebody should be in prison, it should be maybe Epaphroditus, maybe Timothy, but not Paul. If someone should be out there doing his thing, it should be Paul. And Paul could become like a bitter friend right now. He could like turn against Timothy and Epaphroditus. Like even though they've been there for him, he could be like really bitter about his situation and his circumstances that he could, he could just become vengeful and, and hurt and just disappointed and frustrated. And, and maybe those emotions don't even do it justice, but he just feels like, yeah, like, you know, why them and, and, not, and not me? And if you've ever been there, even just for a moment, you, can, you know how dark that place is. It's not a good place. The longer you're in it, I mean, the worse you become. I mean, the, the worse you turn out in your everyday life. Next thing you know, like the, the relationship itself gets, gets ruined. It gets destroyed. You had a soul friend. You had a best friend. You had someone you could go to. But now that person isn't that person anymore because their life is working out in ways that your life isn't. But you see that Paul just doesn't do that. He doesn't go there. He doesn't care about going there. What he thinks about is how Timothy and Epaphroditus were there for him. Can they be for him? There for him in the same way right now? Not likely. Are they going to be able to have access to Paul? Probably not. Is he going to get visitors like these two dudes to come in and encourage him? Not likely, but, but he has a hope for it and he has a heart for it. 
And, and he really desires that the Philippians will also inherit this at some point in their life. And, and all these things could be working against Paul, but he won't let it because soul friends have a common focus. And, and what Paul says, which is most important, is that he found two friends who were truly passionate about Jesus the same way that he was. Now, when you find friends that are passionate about God the same way that you are, you know that you can turn to these people for just so much more than just some, you know, feel-good quote. Sometimes a quote can do it. You know, I'm scrolling on my social media and I come across a good quote and I'm like, man, that's good. It encourages me. Or I hear a one-minute video and I think, man, that was good. I love that. But what really Paul is saying is going to make a difference for our soul is a soul friend. He's someone who's going to have the same kind of passion for the spiritual things that God wants us to be passionate about. And so the first thing that we read in the story is that there was this passion for Jesus that they had and they shared the second thing that they said was, was that there was this friendship that required them to have a genuine love for each other. And you could see that, that Paul is saying, Timothy was there for me in my darkest moments. Epaphroditus, when you sent him, he came to me in my moment of need. And now I want to send them back to you so that he can help you in yours. There was this genuine love, this concern. And you can see that these guys are just more than friends. They're, they're family. They're brothers in Jesus. They, they have this deep trust. And they're there to not only encourage each other in, in the hardships of life, but they're there to pray for one another, to serve one another. They're there to be for e there for each other by taking risks for each other. They're there to go through all the battles of this life together. And what Paul is saying is that these were the characteristics. These were the things that I saw in Timothy. These are the things that I saw in Epaphroditus. And these are the things that I need you to have in your own life. When you're looking for a friend, I need you to look for that person who has a genuine love, not only for you, but for others. I want you to look for that person who's more than just a friend. I want you to look for that person who's a brother and who's a sister in the Lord. I want you to pray for that. I want you to pray that God brings that kind of person into your life. I want you to look at your life and say, I don't have that. And then to begin to pray for it. And then begin to ask God for it. And then to begin to believe God for it. So that you can be encouraged. So you can encourage. So you can be prayed for. So you can pray for someone else. So that you can serve them and they can serve you. But also so you can go out into the world and serve together. And God says, I want you to go out, and I want you to go out in my name. I want you to take those risks. But guess what? Those risks are minimized. And that's why Jesus taught his disciples to go out two by two. He says, I want you to go out together, never alone. Go with someone else so that the risks 
You can face them together. So the battles, you can go through them together. So you can learn to not only lean on me, and that's why I tell you to take nothing with you, but you can learn to lean on the person who is going with you. Oh, God is just so good that way. He's just so capable of teaching us and showing us and revealing what it looks like to be in a good friendship. I believe that Jesus believed that he had good friends when he chose the 12. And when they came to his aid and to his defense over and over again, Jesus was seeing that confirmation. And when he got to the Garden of Gethsemane and they were struggling to pray and stay awake, maybe that, that, that friendship was a little rocky in that moment. You know, like it wasn't, it wasn't as strong as he had hoped. And he went to them and he said, can't you just even stay awake for one hour and pray for me? Like I'm going through a really rough time. And I want you to understand that, that there's going to be a moment in your life where your soul friends, the people that you've invested everything into, the people that you have loved the most, the people that have loved you back, are just not going to be there in your moment of need. Listen, it's just going to happen. And, and what the story of Jesus tells us and reminds us is that your best friends, the people that you invested everything into, one day just may fail you just like they failed him. And, and this is really hard because Jesus not only, of course, gets betrayed, but he gets deserted, he gets disowned, he gets rejected. I mean, in the moment in which you had hoped that everybody would have come to his defense, they're just not there. They all scattered. They're all gone. They're all hiding. That when he has to come back from the dead and he shows up where they are, they're barricaded themselves in someone's house and, and they're all afraid. And in that moment, what you see is that Jesus doesn't come ready to judge them, doesn't come ready to condemn them, doesn't come there to reprimand them and to tell them how terrible they've been and what a waste of his life to sacrifice for theirs. He doesn't say any of that, doesn't go to any of those places that we would make, find ourselves going way too quickly to. But in those moments, Jesus reminds us through these beautiful verses in John chapter 15 and verse 11 to 13, he says this, I have told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment. I want you to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Because there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus reminds us that even when our soul friend, our best friend, isn't going to be there, that that isn't a reason for us to walk away. He's saying, this is what I, I've lived and I was still committed. I want you to be this way too. And so we look not to others for their example because that is going to be good one day and maybe at some point it's going to let us down. But we are going to look to the example that is Jesus Christ for every moment of every day for the rest of our lives. And we're going to understand friendship not through people just simply like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. We're going to learn it best through someone like Jesus. And I believe that Jesus 
taught Paul, and Paul was teaching Timothy and Epaphroditus how to be friends, and now he's teaching the Philippians. And right now, God is teaching us what it looks like to be an amazing friend. And I believe that before, hey, we can have an amazing friend, how about we work on being an amazing friend? How about we work on being the kind of friend that Jesus was and is to each of us and go from there? And let's see how many friends God brings back our way and enriches our life because of it. Amen. God bless you. We're good to pray. Father, I thank you for this amazing group of people here and for the way that you want to work in their lives and bring them not just amazing friends, but to help them to be an amazing friend. We have learned today, both through the life of Paul and of Jesus, and I pray that today we would model ourselves after Jesus in the words that we have heard him speak, that we would be the kind of friend who's willing to lay down his life for another and do it for a reason and a cause that is motivated genuinely and authentically only by love. And I pray, Father, that where we have come short, that you would forgive us, and where we are still falling short, that you would help us to take the next step so that we can move in the direction of the transformation that you have in store for each of us. Lord, at the conclusion of this gathering, this time together, and, and after having looked at your word and what it teaches us about friendships today, I pray that you would just... Focus in on the area of our life that needs it most. Out of all the words that have been spoken, Lord, there are some words that are more important than others. Would you, Holy Spirit, help us to see those and apply those because that is you speaking to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only He can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you immensely.